Welcome to the first edition of the Exact Target Developer Podcast. I'm Roger Brinkley, and in this edition of the podcast, we'll do a feature interview with Ed Federici and Ian Murdoch on the state of the platform. But before we get into that, let's do a short introduction about the podcast itself. And this podcast is designed for developers of Exact Target Platform, but we fully expect that other people that are using the Exact Target tools will uh, will probably be interested in some of the things that we share here as well. So we look forward to you joining us and listening to what we have to say. So turning now to the news segment and in the news, a little side introduction here before we get started. Uh, i got a couple of panelists that are that will join us on somewhat of a rotating basis. And uh, for this week, uh, Christopher McCullough, who is a front-end engineer, is going to join us. So Christopher, welcome to the show. Thanks, Roger. And let's start off right away. Uh, Fuel UX 2.5.2 was released recently. Tell us a little bit about that. Fuel 2.5.2 has some bug fixes, etc. We do have one kind of big thing is the spinner control. We fixed some problems there. We have better Bower support if you're using Bower. And then HDPI support for Fuel UX icons, if you're looking at it on a Retina device or something like that, it's going to look a lot better now. And then also related to that release, IMH theme was updated as well. We brought over the 2.5.2 items over into our IMH theme. So if you're using the IMH theme, you get all of the uh, 2.5.2 stuff in there with it. Finally, in the news this week, jQuery looks like, uh, you know, this is not necessarily an exact target piece, but it looks like there's a couple of release candidates that are out for that. The internet runs off of jQuery. Uh, 61% of the top 100,000 websites are using it. jQuery, it's always there. It's a little bit ubiquitous if you're a front-end developer, you're almost certainly using it. So they've got the 1.11 release candidate one and the 2.1 release candidate one. They've done some interesting stuff here. They've AMDified the jQuery source. So if you are actually developing jQuery, comes AMDified now. And they have fixed the node package manage version of if you use NPM to manage your jQuery dependency. Turning now to the events section, and in the events, uh, January 28th at 7 p.m., there's going to be an exact target developer meetup in Austin, Texas. Both Kelly Andrews and myself are going to be down for a Salesforce Elevate uh, program, and uh, we're going to hold a little meetup uh, at one of the billiards places afterwards at about 7 p.m. If you're interested, if you're in the Austin, Texas area, and you're interested in joining us or, or meeting up with us, and certainly drop me a line or drop Kelly a line. We'll make sure that you get included. Turning now to our feature interview, and just this last week, had an opportunity to speak with Ed Federici and Ian Murdoch on the state of the platform. So let's go directly into that interview. Ian and Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. This is a brand new podcast, so and they might not know who Ian or Ned are. So Ed, just give us a, a quick, uh, you know, bio background, a couple minutes, and and uh, tell us who you are. And Ian, do the same thing. Sure. So you know, I'm the Senior Vice President of Global Engineering and Platform Services here at Exec Target. Uh, my career has been fairly varied. I've worked for really large Fortune 500 companies like Copyware and Sally May and tiny startups of four or five people. My preference has always been tiny startups. I find the energy and the innovation that happens there really exciting. And when I discovered Exec Target, even though it was a larger uh, company, it had the same level of energy as a startup, and it was just the, you know the perfect place for me. All right, I guess it's my turn now. Uh, Ian Murdoch, Vice President of Platform Strategy. I work for Ed on Ed's team. I've been at Exact Target for about three years now, building up the, the the platform. My background, interestingly enough, is operating systems. I was uh, an early contributor to the Linux operating system, and 
did quite a bit in the open source space and eventually found my way to, to exact targets. Uh, no small way because it's based in Indianapolis and where I live and I've gotten tired of doing the coastal commute. So here I am. So let's talk a little bit about that platform then. You know, some people would go, oh yeah, you guys just released a platform in 2013, but it's really not the first rodeo, is it? No, I mean, we, we actually had APIs for well over a decade now. We launched our first API in 2002, which the company was only founded in 2000. And we have invested consistently in our platform over the years, adding additional APIs, content scripting for highly dynamic messages. We've got partner programs. And it is true that we've really doubled down uh, on our platform investment over the past three or four years um, with Interactive Marketing Hub and the Exact Target Marketing Cloud and the Fuel platform uh, underneath it, but we're certainly uh, not new uh, to the platform game. Now, one of the things that you guys did is to uh, open source the platform uh, when you when you did the releases. And it's not surprising that someone with your background in Linux and Debian would push for the open source, but what's the real value uh, in open sourcing a platform like ExactTarget? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say we open sourced the platform. Uh, we have open sourced uh, uh, parts of it. I think most specifically uh, Fuel UX, which is our uh, user interface toolkit. It's actually based on a number of leading open source JavaScript technologies and, and Bootstrap being, being the primary one. We've added some controls to, to what comes with Bootstrap. We've integrated Bootstrap with Require.js and jQuery and some other technologies that developers often have to uh, integrate themselves. To The reason we did that and the reason that any company will open source a, a, a technology is it, it, open sourcing a uh, non-core or non-differentiating technology is, is always a great way to build a community around it, build mind share, build market share. And by doing those things around a non-core technology, you can ultimately greatly benefit the core technology. And in the case of Fuel UX, user interface controls, buttons, drop-down menus, those kinds of things, we rewrote the original Fuel UX, which was built at exact target from the ground up to take advantage of bootstrap so that uh, we could take advantage of those open source controls that already existed. But the core part of Fuel UX uh, is uh, components. So we have a, an embeddable email editor. We're working on other components that can be baked into applications. And those uh, are core, are strategic because in order to use them, they're very high value. You have to be an exact target customer. And as a result of the open source Fuel UX project, uh, we just get a whole lot more visibility into, into what we're doing there, not to mention a whole lot of uh, those controls uh, for free. What's really the relationship between the platform and the, and the ET tools that you know most of our marketing people are seeing? So, you know, the relationship is that on the core side of things, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, and that's where the actual kind of work gets done. The uh, platform and the APIs are the means to access that functionality. The core is what we use internally, uh, and what our clients were using the platform use externally to import subscribers, send emails, do segmentation, to really the meat and potatoes of the platform in some ways, with the API being the way that we serve that up. So when we're talking about platform components, we've got APIs, SDKs, Fuel UX, Fuel Cloud Editor. Between the APIs and the SDKs, when should a developer go one way versus the other? When should they use APIs? When should they use SDKs? You know, I, I would say if there's an SDK available for your language or environment of choice, you should definitely 
we'll use that because we have greatly simplified uh, interaction with Exact Target through those SDKs. They bridge both our SOAP API and our REST API. They provide a whole lot of advanced functionality like autom automatic uh, token management. Uh, if you use the API directly, you, you need to get a, uh, an access token. You need to refresh that access token periodically. The SDKs take care of that for you. And in terms of the specific APIs, uh, you know, I mentioned we've had them for over a decade. Uh, our SOAP API is our oldest API. As such, it's our uh, most comprehensive API. Uh, it's largely uh, specific to our, our, our email functionality. And in recent years, we have added uh, REST API to the SOAP API. It's newer, so it's less comprehensive, but it's getting more comprehensive every day. And again, by utilizing the SDKs, as the REST API becomes more comprehensive, the SDKs will be updated to take advantage of it, and it just provides a nice a nice bridge between the two so you don't have to think about it. When do you see developers using the Fuel UX and the, and the Fuel uh, Cloud um, Editor? In a lot of cases, again, back to the open source question and the mindshare market share response, you know, we see a lot of people using Fuel UX outside of exact target and just for, you know, basic UI construction, and those are developers who know who ExactTarget is, who otherwise may have never heard of us and consequently are exposed to some of the other technologies that, that we have. Our email editor, the, the cloud editor, is first of all a single content creation experience that's consistent across all of our applications. So it's present today in our cloud pages website uh, builder. It's being added to our email application. But it's also uh, part of the platform, can be used in third-party applications. We have a, a number of ISV partners that embed Exact Target, essentially building vertically tailored email marketing solutions, for example. And they're able to take the cloud editor off the shelf and incorporate that into their applications, saving a bunch of development time and and ultimately ending up with, with a better product. And maybe I'm wrong with this, but have you seen other third parties grab some of the source and use it for other, other type of things with the, uh, uh, the, the cloud editor or Fuel UX? Cloud editor is not actually open source. And even if it was, you would need an exact target account to, to use it because it's pulling back assets and templates and so forth from the exact target account that it's linked to. But, but yeah, we are seeing a significant usage outside of exact target. Let's turn to 2014. We've just turned the page on that. So let's uh, talk a little bit about a state of the platform. You know, 2013 was extremely successful. You you did the hub exchange, SDKs, the fuel cloud editor. Ed, what's in store for 2014? You know, I think 2014 is to continue the momentum of 2013 with more apps in the app store. Uh, more robust APIs in, in our REST uh, API set, and really just building on the momentum that we built in 2013 and taking it to a, a greater level of fruition and getting you know, broader adoption across our client base and even outside of our client base for some of the things that we do. You talked about this a little bit earlier, Ian, when we talked about SOAP versus REST. What If you were to advise a developer at this point, would you say go with SOAP or go with REST or, you know, which uh, which direction? And I think it's safe to say that REST is the future, although, you know, we do have significant customers who prefer the additional structure, uh, security of, of SOAP. So, you know, we will be supporting both 
uh, indefinitely. It, it really depends on what you need to do. If you are building a deep integration into our email products, the SOAP API has been around longer. It's, it's far more comprehensive. And as Ed said, that's that's going to be changing over the course of, of 2014. So again, I, it really depends on, on what you're trying to do. So the goal for 2014 then is parity between SOAP and REST, uh, or, or bringing REST up to the level of where SOAP is. Then. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I, I think that you need to be deliberate about what you mean when you say parity. We've learned a lot uh, over the course of the past six or seven years. And we've changed a lot as a company. So therefore, it's parity in the sense of what, what our customers are doing with the SOAP API that will be brought forward. As with all APIs, there are a whole lot of things in the SOAP API that not a whole lot of customers do. So one of the things we are going to be doing as we work toward REST parity in, in 2014 is to try to reduce the surface area of the, the API and, and, and simplify and streamline it. Now, is the SOAP APIs, are they in maintenance mode or are they in ongoing development mode? There's a huge amount of our client base that use the SOAP API. It's something that's super important to us. We're definitely not putting it into maintenance mode. We're trying to deliver parity across both REST and SOAP, but SOAP continues to see augmentation and enhancements going on, and I don't think we'll see that go away anytime soon. And what are some of the successes that we've had with the App Store thus far, and what what are you looking for as growth in the App Store goes in this next year? You know, I would say that the biggest success of uh, 2013 was uh, simply launching it. So, you know, we, we not only had to build the marketplace, we also had to work with launch partners who, who were right there with us when we launched it. Um, because, you know, as I like to say, an, an empty app store is inherently uninteresting. And I think what, what, what we've really done in, in 2013 is to change the way our customers think about exact target. It's, it's not just an application, it's a platform, it's extensible. You know, we've had APIs for over a decade, which we've covered pretty thoroughly, but you can also extend the application with third-party applications, with your own custom applications. I mentioned the cloud editor earlier. Uh, that's extensible as well uh, through something called Gears, uh, which are typed pieces of content. Uh, so just imagine uh, you're a marketer, you want to put a Google map in your message, uh, you can simply drag and drop one of these gears, like a Google Maps gear, onto the message canvas and put in the address and not have to worry about embedding JavaScript code. So I think that 2014, as Ed said, is going to be not only sustaining but accelerating the momentum that we have uh, coming out of, of 2013. A big thing for the platform in 2014 is uh, going to be Journey Builder, again, similar to the Cloud Editor. Journey Builder can be extended with custom triggers and custom events. It's really that thinking of exact target is not just an application or even a set of applications, but as an extensible platform that's been the big one. So if we look at last year, obviously there was the acquisition by Salesforce. So Ed, what's the uh, the biggest challenge your group expects to face in 2014 related to the Salesforce integration? I don't know that we have a lot of challenges related to the Salesforce integration. I think the biggest initiative we have is really bringing the two platforms together and the two applications together and making them one seamless thing for our client base. And that is obviously not an insignificant task given the breadth and scope of both of those applications and their long tenure in the marketplace. But that's really where our focus is going to be, and we're going to do everything we can to make it so that data uh, and functionality are just transparent between the two systems and it's like one. 
And so I think that's going to be a huge challenge because as anyone who's done system integration knows, that's never trivial and there will be gotchas along the way, but it's probably one of the most exciting thing we have on our docket for 2014 related to the acquisition. Yeah, and just to add to that, I, I would completely agree. It's, it's one of the most exciting things we have to look forward to this year. It's always difficult to maintain the right balance between, you know, independence and integration. In, in cases like this, you often see companies integrating technologies together for the sake of integrating technologies together. And there's a very real argument for uh, keeping the cloud separate because sales, service, and, and marketing are all very different markets, but at the same time, see a lot of uh, potential interconnections there as well. So I think the, the big challenge, and it's a fun challenge, is to find you know the appropriate level of integration without forcing an integration doesn't make sense. But you know ultimately, with platforms, and that's why you saw us talk so much about Salesforce One uh, customer platform uh, at Dreamforce last uh, fall, um, you, you, we want to have one of them. So uh, if you're a developer, if you're an ISV, you can build against one set of APIs using one set of tools and you know target all uh, products that sit on top of it. So what would you guys say to the, uh, to the Salesforce developer at this particular point in time? We had a big presence at uh, Dreamforce in the developer zone, uh, just a, a phenomenal experience. Uh, 20,000 developers were in attendance. There's a course, the big million-dollar hackathon, and we were part of that. And we learned a tremendous amount from participating in that, namely that for the typical Salesforce developer, not a whole lot of exposure to this point to exact target and, and what we do. And it's on us to, to deliver the enablement materials we need. But just you know, thinking about the, the, the knowledge, the technology, the use cases coming out of sales and service clouds, and what are those integration points? How do we make that easier? How do we introduce the, the basic concepts and technologies given what Salesforce typical Salesforce developer knows. That's one of the big fun challenges of 2014. And we have a phrase within exact target kind of big P, little P. And we've been talking today in the, in, about the platform APIs, and that's really the little P. But there's a lot of work that goes on in the platform just to make everything work. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, I think if you ask the average person, is it hard to send an email, they might say no. But the actual fact of that is incredibly hard. If you look at just the volume alone that we send, uh, Black Friday, we did 1.12 billion emails. And that's just amazing, right? The sheer volume to get out the door, the utilization of bandwidth, the construction of those emails, the storage of all the content, the segmentation of subscribers, the personalization of that content is just a phenomenal task that goes across everything that we do. If you look at our simplest use case of import, segment, send, and track, when you're hitting levels of 1.12 billion, that is just some phenomenal effort that's backed up by a lot of very efficient code and some massive hardware that is, you know, redundant across the United States. And it takes a front end with some of the stuff that we've been talking about, um, you know, to be able to do this to get things started. But, boy, it takes a great big, huge back end to be able to do a billion emails on a single day. You know, and if you want to talk about platform in a little piece sense, if you looked in, across all those emails that went out and how many were generated through API calls versus how many were triggered through the UI, I don't know the exact ratio, but I bet it's greater than 50% were done through the API because our, even our little clients and our biggest, most sophisticated clients are using the platform to automate their process. And so we see a lot of the 
really monstrous activity that happens in exact target triggered through the API. And it's really all about the data, isn't it? Data is king for sure, right? The ability to use that data to do more effective marketing and better one-to-one targeting is our entire value prop and something that is paramount to successful marketing. Adam Ian, thanks for joining the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Turning now to the uh, What's Cool segment. So, Christopher, what's cool? This week, we have some, some really interesting stuff. JS Hint, when that came out, one of the things that they, they did was they kind of took out some of the style conformance rules uh, in JS Lint. And if you miss those, if you, if you want your JavaScript checker, basically, to be checking for style rules, now there's a new library that will live alongside JS Hint and will and we'll do that. So check out the uh, JavaScript code style checker if you want those features back. Uh, next up is just a little bit of, of Node.js news. Isaac Schluter, and I murdered his name just now, I'm sure, has stepped aside as the Node.js project lead. He's being replaced by TJ Fontaine. Isaac is going to start focusing on NPM. That's to make it much more streamlined and a better tool, fix all the problems. But he's also trying to figure out a way to monetize it. Uh, he says, he assures us everything that's free will stay free. So that'll be interesting to see. And TJ, who's replacing him, will be leading the charge towards 1.0. And we're still not at 1.0. So the release of 0.12 is imminent. And immediately following that release, he says that he's going to focus on building the community. So if, you, uh, if you're interested in being a part of that, now's a good time. If you have any interest in Backbone, developing Backbone, or building Backbone plugins, uh, Derek Bailey has been working on an ebook, LeanPub, called Building Backbone Plugins. Uh, it looks like he's begun working on that more this year, picking up development. He's hoping for basically release candidate one to be out by February. But recently, he, he's pushed a whole bunch of, of changes to it. Also, uh, you should check out the new f- web framework, Koa. It's by the team that brought us Express. It allows you to leverage generators and ditch callbacks to greatly increase your error handling in your node development. And then finally, there's the node.js streams playground from John Resig. So what this is this is pretty cool. If you don't understand node streams or if you want to kind of brush up on your node streams, this is a great little toy. It, it allows you to almost Lego like uh, build a stream and kind of watch everything that happened throughout the stream life cycle. It's real it's a really good way to visualize your node streams. So check that out. And what's cool for me is just obviously getting this podcast off the ground. Uh, kind of exciting to uh, get back and doing regular podcasts again and, and getting started. Thanks for listening to the first edition of the Exact Target Developer Podcast. I'm Roger Brinkley. And send your feedback to devpodcast at exacttarget.com.